around the world, engineers and architects, constructors and owner-operators are using Bentley software solutions to design, build and operate the infrastructure that sustains our economy and our environment, including integrated applications and services built on an open platform our solutions enable digital workflows across engineering disciplines and distributed project teams from the office to the field. And today, leverage digital twin technology to help solve the most complex of engineering challenges. Together, we are advancing infrastructure. Welcome to the latest episode of the Engineers Collective. I'm Claire Smith, I'm editor on New Civil Engineer. I will be joined soon by our Head of Content Engagement, Rob Horgan, and our reporter, Catherine Kennedy, to talk through the news events of the last month. And then a bit later, our features editor, Nadine Badu, and I will be speaking to today's special guests, Amanda Fisher, who is Amy's Chief Executive, and Mandy Willis, who is Group Board Director of Corporate Strategy with MACE. And we'll be speaking about the skills issue that most of the industry has remained quiet about so far, and that is supporting women through the menopause in the workplace. Both Amanda and Mandy believe that menopause is a workplace issue, not just a women's issue, but more on that later. First, let's talk through the main news, the stories of the last month. So hi, Rob. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Claire. Hi, Claire. How are you doing? So what's been on the news agenda in August then? It's normally a quiet month with the school holidays, but having sat in the news editor's seat for a week or so this month, it's not really been that quiet, has it? The amount of flooding stories this summer has felt quite at odds with the season, but I guess as the effects of the climate crisis really start to hit, I expect we'll see more of that as a growing trend. Nadine's just written a, an interesting investigation into the flooding in Germany at the end of July for the next issue. The scale of the damage and sadly 180 deaths was quite shocking, but I guess against the backdrop of climate change and some people are asking whether flooding is something we have to learn to live with. Rob, you've been reporting on the flooding issues in London, haven't you? Yeah, that's right. Uh, of course, the images that came out of Germany were, were quite shocking, as you said, and, you know, it's not been anywhere near as, as bad as that in London. However, I think it's uh, what's happened in Germany and also what's happened in London this summer is maybe a, a warning of, of things to come. Uh, anyone who lives in London will know it's been pretty wet and quite torrential at times with the downpours and this sort of came to a head at the end of July when uh, flash floods hit the capital on on more than one occasion uh, in the space of about two weeks. The most shocking images were were seen in East London, in particular at Hackneywick Station and at Pudding Mill Lane Station, where the the water levels um, had left both both stations partly submerged, sort of ticket halls underwater and and outside the stations in the surrounding areas as well, which really sort of has called into question drainage solutions in in and around key infrastructure assets such as stations and civic engineers founding director Stephen O'Malley told us that TfL will have to carry out a retrospective assessment of its flood alleviation plans especially at stations and and he's called for more or for greater uptake in in suds to help combat that Um, and it's the same on the roads as well we obviously saw lots of videos and images of motorists having to abandon their cars, particularly on the North Circular, which is obviously uh, it's a major, major road in, in North London, or the major road in North London. So um, obviously a lot to a lot to learn, I guess, and to learn quickly and have to, have to try and change. Um, Sadiq Khan has sort of 
been saying the right things, but as of yet, we're yet to see what what will be done to to tackle flash flooding in the future in in London. Yeah, I think um, discussions around climate change are only going to grow. And and Harvey's England's road building plan has also been called into question this month, hasn't it? Around the climate change, there's been a lot of news about that. Yeah, so uh, the court little the legal challenge against Riz Two uh, was heard at the back end of June, I believe, um, and that's one that's been bubbling along pretty much all year. Um, and it did threaten to sort of derail the 27 billion RIS2 plan. Um, however, a judge has ruled that the plan can go ahead, that Grant Shapps did not break any any laws when he approved the plan, um, which effectively means that Highways England can continue with its road building plans for the next, when does it run to? 2024, is it? 2025. 2025, yeah. one year out. So... Uh, however, the Transport Action Network, who brought the claim in the first place, have already submitted an appeal and we're waiting to hear back from the court on whether or not they've accepted that appeal. So it's likely to rumble on uh, more and more. And I think with road building in particular, I think the government and Highways England are going to have to really work hard to prove how building new roads does fit in with the sort of climate change agenda and net zero targets and and so so on and so forth. So, I mean, the High Court decided with um, Grant Shapps on, on RIS 2, but when it came to Stonehenge Tunnel, they decided against him, didn't they? Catherine, you've been following that one. Yeah, so that was the other big bit of court court news. So the, the Stonehenge Tunnel scheme, the planning approval for that was overruled by the High Court and it was an interesting one because Grant Chaps had given the scheme the go ahead, I think it was in November. And in doing that, he overruled the advice of planning officials who said it would cause substantial harm to the Stonehenge World Heritage Site. So um, the legal challenge was brought. It was um, a group C of Stonehenge World Heritage Site and now the, the judge has ruled that the planning approval was unlawful and a few points he raised. He said Shaps hadn't properly assessed the risk of harm to each heritage asset and that he didn't actually have the evidence to conclude that the project would cause less than substantial harm to those assets. He also said that Shaps hadn't considered alternatives to the scheme, things like a longer tunnel, which might have been less damaging. So quite interesting. And the, the planning inspector have now said that Shaps has to redetermine his decision. So I think there will be more details about that released soon, but he will potentially need to consider the impact of the scheme on the heritage assets more and then also explore those alternative options. So that's a really interesting development around the Stonehenge project, but I think there's a wider issue about the quashing of the development consent order, the DCO. And we've spoken that about that before because this is the fourth DCO to be quashed by the High Court in the last year. You know, following the, the High Court decision on Stonehenge, we spoke to Angus Walker, who's the head of law firm um, BDB Pitmans, and we were asking him about why there's been such a sudden spate of quashings like this. And he said the detailed reasons behind each case are quite different. So the three other cases are Manston Airport, the A38 Derby Junction and the Vanguard Offshore Wind Farms. So and not all um, Department for Transport schemes or ones that Grant Shapps has been involved in. But the common theme seems to be that the language in the national policy statements, which predates the 2015 Paris Climate Agreement, is at odds with the government's commitment to net zero by 2050. So in 
I think he was saying that unless we see an update to the national policy statements, the legal battles like this are going to become the norm. You know, clearly getting it right when it comes to climate commitments is critical, but this this back and forth is going to do nothing for project budgets in the long term. Um, talking of budgets, I guess that brings us on to our next topic. There's actually been some good news on budgets for Hammersmith Bridge and the cost of repairs in the last couple of weeks, haven't there, Rob? Uh, yeah, you're right. So uh, not there's not been much good news for Hammersmith or uh, on Hammersmith Bridge over the last what two two and a half years. Um, obviously, the bridge reopened to pedestrians and cyclists earlier this summer um, and now Hammersmith and Fulham Council has approved Mock McDonald's uh, alternative proposal to stabilise the, the bridge's cast iron pedestals. So the Mott's proposal is earmarked to cost just £6 million which is £24 million less than the original stabilisation plan which was drawn up by Pell Frischman. It is worth noting that the, the sort of significantly reduced cost is because Mott's had far more information to, to draw up its proposal because there's Pell Frischman's proposal was effectively drawn up two years ago when the bridge was first shut there's been obviously extensive investigations into the bridge since then and um, that was something that uh, WSP Steve Denton stressed when um, when he made his um, recommendation to the council um, was that Pell Frischman's proposal two years ago was was a sensible proposal, but with all the new information that's that's come in since the Mott's proposal, he he ruled was uh, technically superior, cheaper, and could be implemented more more rapidly. So that's been given the go ahead already, um, and they expect it to be completed in under a year. At which point there will then be a uh, hopefully a a plan in place for wider repairs to the bridge we hope but what, things what are we going to talk about on the podcast if hammersmith is fixed i'm sure i'm sure there'll be another london bridge <laughs> or a bridge in the uk well now you mention it i think i think we already know which one might be next because it's not been a great month for city of london corporation which owns tower bridge has it no it's not so tower bridge is uh it got stuck again for the second time it was almost a year year to the day that it got stuck um last summer this last time around it was stuck open just for an hour this time it was nearly 16 hours i think it was nearly stuck open for so they haven't really provided any details into to what caused the the bridge's bascules to sort of get stuck in the open position uh other than saying it was a technical issue however the author of the haynes tower bridge operations manual john smith who's uh, pretty much the expert on Tower Bridge. He reckons that it's to do with the hydraulic system, which he claims has not been replaced since it was first put in place some 40 years ago. And that would be a, a sort of a six-figure sum to replace that. So, I mean, it's, it's all very speculative at the moment as we haven't been given any details as to what, what the actual issue is. But um, time will tell, I guess, and... I guess whether they try and patch it up and keep on going again or whether it does need a wider refurb, wait to see. Sounds like we've got a new bridge saga to follow now. Hammersmith's looking a bit more positive. What about news of other major projects? There have been some updates on those recently, haven't there? Catherine, you've been following Crossrail, haven't you? 
yeah, a number of station handovers on Crossrail. So that's been interesting to see. Uh, the latest one was Paddington. So that makes a total of six handed over to TFL. So those are Custom House, um, Farringdon, Tottenham Court Road, Woolwich and Liverpool Street. And then obviously Paddington. I was able to go to Liverpool Street last month um, when it was handed over and actually go down in the platforms and see that in real life, which was good fun to get on a site and, and uh, nice to properly see where the, the trains will be. Um, work is also continuing then at Crossrail's last West London station, so revamped West Rutten station. It opened recently and then work at Ealing Broadway, South Hall and Hayes and Harlington are also continuing. So um, I think those last two are due to complete this summer is the plan. There are a few delays at a couple of other ones. So those are Ilford and Rumford stations. Um, Network Rail has confirmed that the challenges there have been related to COVID and then to long lead times for some materials, but the completion for those doors still remain the end of 2021. But it's not all great news for Crossrail. There's still some challenges ahead, aren't there, Rob? You've been looking at some of the reports on that. Yeah, so Jacob's latest project representative report, um, which which do tend to be uh, slightly doom and gloom in general, and have sometimes been a bit over over cautious, I guess. But they they've warned that, that that's what they're paid to do, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. They're sort of, I guess, paint the worst case scenario. But uh, they've sort of flagged concerns around site access um, or site access issues, which Crossrail have also acknowledged is is a problem and in particular at Bond Street and Canary Wharf, where Jacobs have identified site access issues as uh, potentially causing extra cost on the project and um, sort of delays to those stations. Um, it looks like Bond Street won't open with the rest of the line again. It's sort of will it, won't it? It's sort of been going on for God knows how long now, but I think we're now back in a position where it looks like the rest of the line is going to open without Bond Street. Canary Wharf now seems to be getting sort of sucked into that sort of um, concern over when it will be completed. Um, there's also in Jacob's project uh, representative report concerns around safety to do with uh, these site access issues. So Crossrail says it has put a new plan in place to solve those issues. So we wait we wait and see, I guess. That's all, all we can do, isn't it? Wait and see. And the official word is that the line will still open at the first half of next year. So um, while that's the case, just these are issues to be ironed out in the interim. Have to wait and see on that one. But the other London project that is making good progress is Tideway, isn't it? Yep, so it's been well documented that Tideway's uh, suffered from the impact of COVID-19 and is still um, at risk of suffering additional costs because of that. However, construction's been sort of ploughing on. Not ploughing on, but you know what I mean, tunnelling on. And um, the final concrete base slab on Tideway has, has been poured and set in the deepest shaft on the project um, in the last month. Um, that was at the King Edward Memorial Park in Wapping with 780 cubic metres of concrete poured to form the slab, um, which is obviously a massive massive milestone on the project so so yeah that's that's a, a great project and and one which will 
probably help with uh, the sort of flooding concerns that we were talking about earlier on as well. So it couldn't come at a better time. So it's probably just about finished Tideway 1. Do we need Tideway 2? I'll have to wait and see on that one. <laughs> it's dealing with funding is always a challenge. But there's been some good news for Sizewell, hasn't there, in terms of funding in the last month or so? Yeah, good news. So the government has announced plans to fund the Sizewell nuclear project via the regulated asset base funding model. So that is actually what has also been used for Tideway. Um, so the government has said it will unveil the legislation in the autumn um, to fund the the nuclear power plant. And basically the way the model works is that the funding is released based on predictions of costs and profits across the lifetime of an asset. So it allows investors to earn this calculated set return across the life of the entire project rather than having to wait until it's delivered. So it takes that risk away. And yeah, it was also used on Heathrow Terminal 5 and I think people have wanted it to be used more widely for a while, so it's good news for Sizewell. It's good to see a different funding model coming through, so maybe that's how they'll get Tideway 2 through. <laughs> Who knows? But there's certainly some interesting stories coming through in terms of project news. But without engineers, the people behind the projects, none of these schemes will be pushing ahead or the problems dealt with. The Engineers Collective is powered by Bentley Systems. With industry-leading software solutions, used by professionals in organisations of all sizes for the design, construction and operation of roads and bridges, rail and transit, water and wastewater, public works and utilities, buildings, campuses and industrial facilities, Bentley can help accelerate your digital transformation. To find out more, visit www.bentley.com forward slash the Engineers Collective. The skills crisis, the lack of people, has been something civil engineering has long been focused on, but it always seems to be about targeting new talent coming into the sector. I've seen some great initiatives in recent years to target returners who've taken a career break after having a family. What about supporting staff to retain them through other stages of their career? More women are coming into engineering these days, but there's still a lack of senior business leaders. And while it may take time for the younger generation to reach these career heights, there are also workplace issues that may mean these women leave the industry because they don't have the support they need to get through the menopause. Joining me and Nadine now to talk about a new platform, Peppy, that Amy and Mace are pioneering for their staff to support them through the menopause and other women's health journeys. We have Amy Chief Executive Amanda Fisher and Mace Group Board Director of Corporate Strategy Mandy Willis. Amanda took on the role of Chief Executive of Amy in December 2019 and says that despite the challenges of COVID, she's delivered a business turnaround and is establishing a progressive people culture. She is a former army officer and has a track record of successfully delivering critical public services in senior leadership roles at ISS, Allied Healthcare Group and Alfred McAlpine. Before joining Amy, she was the first woman to be appointed to lead one of Balfour Beatty's major businesses as Managing Director of Balfour Beatty Living Places. Amanda is today one of the very few women heading up a leading infrastructure and engineering services company. She's keen to champion diversity and the development of employee potential so others can reach their potential. She says that she feels passionate about the menopause issues we are going to discuss today because she wants to be sure that all women are able to reach their potential and menopause should not be a barrier to them achieving their ambitions. Mandy officially joined Mace in 2014 after supporting the board as an external advisor on tax shareholder and commercial matters for 14 years. 
She is experienced in shareholder matters, corporate structuring, funding and high-level reward and incentivisation and was appointed to her current role on the board in 2017, which is critical to the delivery of MACE's strategy. Maddie is also a member of the Development and Innovation Boards at MACE, which did the agenda for capital structuring and research and development. In addition, Mandy acts as a board sponsor for Legal, Tax and Women at MACE. Under the Women at MACE banner, she champions gender equality as part of the wider diversity and inclusion agenda at MACE, with a specific focus on increasing representation of women across the business and actively nurturing behaviours that recognise the attributes of a diverse talent pool. Both Amanda and Mandy were appointed co-chairs of the Rebuild Project, an initiative to tackle gender equality in the construction industry. So thank you to both of you for joining us today. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. I think it's great that we're able to talk about subjects like menopause in context of the construction industry. I remember when I started on site 24 years ago as a new graduate, I felt the need to demonstrate that I was equal to any male engineer on site in terms of physical capability. But at certain times of the month, that was quite tricky. I know over the course of the pandemic, we've seen a lot more people being open when it comes to discussions around mental health. And I'd like to think that we can start to apply the same broad-minded thinking to all health issues. Nonetheless, when I was preparing for this podcast, I was quite shocked when I read up on the impact of menopause on women in the workplace and learned that one in 10 consider leaving their employment due to menopause symptoms. So I guess, start off, why are Amy and Mace considering offering menopause support now? Thank you very much, Claire. And uh, yeah, delighted to be here and be able to have a conversation over the menopause. As you know, women are represented in the workplace much more now than in the past and are recognised as key part of the workforce. So for me, you know, the time is right. This is something that's likely to impact all of them at some point in their career, and it makes sense to address it as we would any other workplace issue. And generally, society has changed, and it's now much more willing to discuss issues, which were once taboo. And we've seen this with mental health, you know, and now the menopause is coming out of the shadows as something that organisations really do need to consider And Amy, I want to cultivate an environment, you know, where workers can feel comfortable recognising symptoms at an early stage and to get the appropriate support. What about you, Mandy? What was the reasoning behind it for MACE? Not unlike Amanda, but I think we all know that society really, and it genuinely does drive change, and it should. And the change that we face today is that menopause should not be considered an illness nor a weakness. It is not. It is something that every woman is going to face at some point in her life, and unfortunately, some sooner than others. Um, It's interesting when we talk about diversity. What is it actually? It's about recognising the differences that we are not the same, and this is the same. It's the same conversation here. It's about respecting and supporting those differences. And as an employer, we can say that we, we want to nurture an environment. And I actually think that's one of the most important things about nurturing the environment where those differences are recognised and respected, but also optimising their health. We want to bring the best of them to work every day. And we talk about that a lot at base. But again, to Amanda's point about the shadows, this is bringing out of the shadows issues that once upon a time were perceived as personal matters that nobody should discuss. In fact, there was almost a bit of shame attached to it. It's too personal and that shouldn't be the case. It just, it, uh, thank goodness we're in, a different, we're in a different level now and we're about to have better conversations. 
And so with that in mind, can you explain a bit by what you mean when you refer to menopause as a workplace issue as opposed to it being just a women's issue? Yeah, I I think exactly as Mandy was saying, that it is a health issue, um, you know, but equally menopause can affect the physical and mental health and the general well-being of a significant proportion of the workforce. So from a business perspective, you know, it can lead to reduced productivity, poor performance, but also on an individual level, you know, uh, I know from personal experience, job satisfaction uh, can be, you know, impacted. But also, if you think about our industry and just business generally, there are lower rates of retention because women tend to leave an organisation when they're going through, uh, you know, these problems. So what it means generally is a lack of representation of women. And we can't afford that either, you know, on an economical basis, um, but also in an industry, we cannot afford women to go uh, as we're trying to attract and retain them. And four out of 10 women struggle to cope with the symptoms of menopause, you know, and that's a staggering statistic, really, when you think about it, because it's impacting on their ability to do their job. And it also can impact on those people and their colleagues around them. So any responsible organisation would want to support their staff and mitigate the impact of that. And we're all recognising the value that women bring to our organisation in terms of the skills. And we want to support them and we want to keep them in the organisation. So, you know, if statistics are suggesting that women are giving up the workplace altogether when they hit, you know, menopause, or that it's a barrier for them, um, you know, to, to progress, they can't control it. So we should be doing everything we can to ensure that they achieve their ambitions as companies, we invest millions, you know, in recruiting and retaining good staff, you know, great talent. And we don't want to lose them at a critical stage in their career. And we're never going to get senior women in the top jobs if we don't support them through, you know, what can be a really difficult time physically and mentally. Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, just building on from that, how many studies have we all read and heard about that lit from McKinsey down that show the statistical evidence of women in leadership roles and high performing teams? And who wouldn't want a high performing team? <laughs> At Mace, we say we want high performing teams. We also want different perspectives around the table and we want to reflect wider society. We have our immediate stakeholders in life, but our end customer for all of us is society. So at the end of the day, we also recognise that the construction industry needs to move on. There are another plethora of studies telling us how it's in dire need of innovation, investment and modernisation. If we're going to get anywhere near that, we need new skills and we need to tap into two fresh, basically, there are a massive pool of female talent out there, great, strong female talent, and we want access to it. Um, it's not just about labour anymore, the construction industry. It's about digitisation, economics, delivery, risk mitigation. It's about vision. And we need a fresh talent at the table. Um, 
how many again? How many times? How many studies have we read? How many newscasts where we talk about the strong academic performance of women from schools to university? So again, ask yourself the question, why would an employer not want access to that? But the thing about the menopause conversation, the thing about today, the awareness piece, it's about the retention. Amanda and I, we've had many conversations about this. Today, we probably don't face a problem at entry level of attracting women into our industry. But the retention is an issue. It's a huge issue. And then it becomes an economic issue. It becomes a resource issue. So for us retaining those women and getting them to those higher senior positions and roles, that they can start to influence that those echelons of, let's face it, male-dominated management, that's what we need, that pipeline of women. And it's natural that you only get to those levels when you've been in post a period of time, you're generally older, and guess what? You're going to be facing the challenges of menopause. So these these all, they come together, they're all influencers, but it's you can't reiterate it enough, it's avoiding the attrition. We want women at the pivotal points in their careers to stay in post, to have the influence and to be able to influence the direction of travel, you know, not just for employers, for, for modernisation, but for society as a whole. It, it, it's, a, it's a massive, massive conversation. So tell me about the Peppy platform that you've made available to staff to support them through that. What is it? How can your staff use it? And what does it offer that wasn't previously available? Yeah, so so the Peppy platform, actually, it's a digital health platform uh, and it offers personalised support for employees, but also, more importantly, I think, which is often overlooked, are partners. And, you know, if they're going through the menopause, then the partners as well often need the support and the recognition because it's it's new to everybody. And what it is, it's an app that's simple to use and it connects users directly to a specialist menopause practitioner sort of via one-to-one chats and or it can be group chats or you know video consultations and they've got a library of free events articles and videos all that are informative and um, you know help to support uh, the the individuals and users can go on to that and discuss their symptoms and you know there are treatment options and mental well-being and you know things like that and they can receive tailored advice which is probably the most important thing uh, when you're going through this and also the fact that it's support from from experts and I know you know uh, Mandy you that you've um, sort of launched that through your through your company as well in terms of the platform and you've had some great um, feedback from it as well haven't you yeah we have and 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 to that point is the difference here as well and and it's the point that we want to emphasize across our workforce the male and female as I'll come on to but the reality is it's between them it's between the individual and Pepe the employer has no access to this So it's about those conversations, because not everybody's comfortable having these conversations. It's private to them. And I think the other thing, which was one of the the bits that really attracted me to it when I wanted to roll out in the organisation and spoke to our healthcare trust and my group CEO, was that um, it's a conduit to having better conversations. And I know this from personal experience, you don't know what you don't know. And it's very difficult sometimes to find your way. It's, It's like you're in a tunnel and you can't see the light. And these people that with their professional tailored advice are there to support the individual going to their health provider. 
and then saying, right, I need to explore this about me. It is a conversation about me. And it's that access to very professional and dedicated support, which I think is the new piece in the question. It's it's what we didn't, it's what I didn't have. A better man didn't have it. Um, and, and, and that is something that, you know, it speeds things up and it, and it quite frankly, can reduce the agony significantly. And I, I, I agree with that in the fact that it's uh, we've got experts on the end of the line and we shouldn't um, just rely on our doctors to have the answer, as Mandy says, because invariably they don't. And the fact that this is open to, you know, uh, menopausal employees, but their families as well is what's what is important. And it is it's a big step forward um, for us as, as organisations, but also as an industry. So since you launched the platform, what's the response been from staff? Uh, really positive, I have to say, I, I, and, and genuinely. I think the first instance, what I really felt was a sense of relief that we've actually got this on the agenda. Guess what? We're finally talking about menopause. We're finally talking about something that impacts women from a health and and at times, uh, uh, like we talked about the stats at the beginning, that they genuinely consider they might have to leave their employment. And I've had that personal experience. So it's 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 totally relatable for me and undoubtedly Amanda too, that they feel like that. It also aligns them better with the organisation because for once they think someone's listening and I'm better represented. You know, I'm I'm not the second act. So the reality is I'm really well. The app itself, um, again, it's this immediate access to professionals that's really captured them. It's, they're not generalists. They're there just to talk about menopause. And that and the individual consultations has, has, has really been very, very positive. Um, and again, for the male, you know, the men in our business often come to me and come to the women at Mace and say they listen into our forums and they say, my wife's really struggling or my partner's really struggling. What are you taking, Mandy? What are you doing? Can you share with us what which supplements you take? I'm very happy to, but obviously I'm not I'm not qualified to give proper advice. And these people are. And we are probably on the cusp as well of line managers in our forums of, of allies at Mace to women at Mace talking about maybe they should enter and download and get into some of the forums so they can better support their female colleagues and understand the challenges and um you know, it's all about that awareness piece that we're always growing these days. You can't invest enough time in this to respect the differences and challenges of others. I, I agree with the um, certainly with the male employees. I have been quite surprised, actually, the the way this has been accepted and also the way that they've responded so positively to it, you know, in the fact that they now have got support in order to give support to their partners. And it's not something probably as organisations we consider, but it really lends itself when you talk about being inclusive, um, you know, as an organisation, this certainly is, because it gives them a safe environment to have those conversations as much as it does for, for the women uh, having that advice to them. And, you know, we've had lots of positive feedback across our social channels and LinkedIn and Yammer and it's already been widely shared across the organisation. And I know that um, we've had employees um, already downloaded the app and signed up. And we've already had one-to-one consultations uh, have taken place. And one of those as well, uh, in terms of reaching out, you know, has have been, um, has been male. 
And it's something that I probably wouldn't have thought of four weeks ago when we launched this app. Mm, I agree. That surprised me too. That's really great progress, isn't it? It is. I'm sorry, I mean, Peppy isn't just a platform that's available for Amy and Mason employees. So what do we need to do collectively as a sector when it comes to the issue of menopause? To be honest, it's quite simple, really. Any company can sign up to Peppy, um, you know, and any company can uh, take steps like we've done to support their staff. And uh, as a sector, you know, that's keen to diversify and attract skills from a broader range of groups, this is something that all organisations should be considering. And we need to look at ways of how we support menopausal employees in the workplace and just having these conversations opening this up um, is already gaining traction and it will gain momentum and this is one of the reasons why uh, Mandy and I joined up our companies in terms of it isn't the first one out there to launch this or to join this was about how can we step change you know uh, change the dial in our industry to make a difference Uh, we're all organizations are going through it all women are going through it. So it it makes sense that the, the more people that are on this and on this journey and having those conversations and are opening up will have a faster impact uh, you know, across organisations, industry-wide, you know. We shouldn't kid ourselves. There are many sectors, not just our sector, and many employers who are facing the challenge of being fit for future purpose out there. And the only one of the greatest assets any of us has are our people. And the reality is, unless we look after those people and nurture them and value them, then we are going to see a dearth. And we are seeing that dearth of talent and we need to maximise the potential for all employers. Uh, We've got a lot of challenges economically in the landscape and we're all fully aware of them. Post-Brexit, COVID, we need the best opportunities we can possibly grasp. So, I mean, in terms of Mason and Amy, are there things specifically that you think you need to do as organisations to, you know, to do more in terms of retaining that talent? And are there things that you've already learned through this process that you think the wider sector could learn from from your organisations? Inevitably, there's always more that can be done. And we're just here uh, starting having conversations, um, you know, but at least we've had those conversations and all companies should take a proactive approach and make it acceptable to have these discussions around the menopause. It's the first step in raising awareness and educating employees about the challenges faced by menopausal employees. And we've just um, published our menopause policy, actually, and I hadn't realised until one of our employees flagged up that we didn't actually have one. But at least we've been able to address it, and it's been really helpful in thinking through um, what we needed to do in terms of constructing um, the policy. And if you think about it, the infrastructure and construction sectors have always been underrepresented Uh, in terms of um, gender in particular, but it's changing. And as Mandy was saying earlier on, you know, if we want to be a modern, uh, you know, organisations in a modern industry, we're going to have to accept this, we're going to have to embrace it, and we're going to have to start um, taking steps to address uh, issues um, like this and changes that come with being a modern organisation. And we need to be cognisant that a modern diverse workforce needs to adapt totally i think awareness 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 honestly all 
Our internal networks at MACE have done an incredible job in raising our awareness, but it just, it's, you know, it's an employer responsibility too, not just the network responsibility. And we've seen the increased focus in the construction industry for mental health and well-being, probably over the past four years, I'd say. And we also know the dire consequences of ignoring that. And I think this is the same. Employers have to face that life challenges, that the challenges of, of life, of health and stress and the impact they have on our people. Um, we've got to equip our line managers to have better conversations. You know, Amanda talks about the policies and that's great to give the guidance, but it's living the, ever, you know, the essence of those policies day in, day out. Um, and that's really about changing the behaviours in the organisation. Now, that isn't to be under, understated. That's a huge amount of effort. That takes a, a massive input from the leadership community, a lot of training, a lot of commitment. But we've got to get to a place. The end result of all this awareness must be that our women in employment feel empowered enough that if they don't feel supported, they can say, they can speak out. They shouldn't have to just put up with it. But what do we learn? Well, we never stop learning. That's a fact. We never stop learning. And we, we, we nor should we, quite frankly. Um, but the reality is we have to keep listening to our people and they generally direct us in the best direction. Um, it's acting on it and it's, it's embedding it. And Amanda used a great word before, embracing it. We've, we've got to get, so this has got to become normal business day to day. So was it personal experience that led you to want to support your staff better through this change? I, I've got to say and confess it wasn't. Um, had this uh, not come up, um, I wouldn't be talking about it. Um, but I felt as a leader of an organisation that I had to address it head on. And that's led me to talk about my own experience. And it was only because one of our employees wrote to me and asked me why we didn't have that menopause policy. And from that, I recognised that there was a need and had it not been for that brave individual, we wouldn't be speaking about it today. Do you know, it really made me think this question because I almost have parked my own personal experience, probably in that I don't want to think about it, box. I don't mind talking about it, but I don't want to think about it. I'm, I unfortunately had an induced menopause at 30 and that was a really tough time for me. And I did and played every trick under the book to redesign my career such that I didn't tell anyone about it. So I actually went from full-time to part-time and just wished to goodness that my bad days would be on the designated days off and that I could show my extra commitment by working extra days. So from a career perspective, it would be silly of me to say that it's impacted me. It hasn't. But from a cost, economic and an emotional perspective, it was enormous. You know, I, I, I resigned from a full-time fantastic position to a part-time position because I didn't want to tell anybody. So clearly it had an economic cost and, and, and I wasn't too happy about it. It was only when I became the board sponsor for women at MACE and as Amanda says, people start to share their experience. You should start to get into a very different environment where you're having open conversations about things daily that I thought, my goodness, yeah, it really wasn't great, was it, to say the very least. And I just realised then how much I didn't want other people to have to unnecessarily, I would hope, try and sidestep what was happening to them um, and make it better for, for people. Um, 
and and that really it's, it's it's listening to Amanda say that it probably wasn't my own personal experience and that sounds strange that started it but I clearly had just parked it all and then it, it brought this up and I started to think goodness would I want anyone else to go through that no I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy <laughs> That's why I think it's so important you've developed this system and this approach to allowing your staff to have that support and to have that communication too. So is there any advice you'd give to employers and line managers who are listening on how to help staff through the menopause? Listen to this podcast would be my first one. <laughs> hopefully they already because are. Hopefully we've, um, you know, we've had a great discussion today, uh, um, you know, about the challenges as well and also the things that we're doing. But it is about taking a proactive approach and making it acceptable in the first instance just to have the conversations. And, you know, to hear what Mandy was saying uh, about her experiences just then of the menopause and you do it's it's been the culture that you don't talk you just get on with it um and you know we we haven't really thought about how we can use our own experiences to better um you know the future for others but now is the time and i think also there's about taking sensible steps as well and Mandy's right, you can have policies and that, but this is all about organisation responsibility and taking action. And I think that we need to start considering about uh, things that we could do in terms of, you know, maybe adapting performance management sickness policies, not just talking about policies to cope with menopause, but, um, you know, flexibility in working, maybe adjustment to uniforms. It's, It's things like that. There's some real practical steps we can do now that it's out in the open. And again, the the training, I say training, but it's probably more of the awareness, coming back to this awareness, awareness, awareness for, for men as well. Because let's not forget our industry is predominantly male now and yet we're asking the females to have those conversations so we have to make sure that the whole company is a safe environment and an acceptable environment you know to have those kind of very personal conversations um with a with a male colleague i think you can see why amanda and i came together to do this because <laughs> <laughs> we have a, a shared vocabulary on this and at I think you just gave us a checklist there, Amanda, as making notes. Um, that would be music to many people's ears. I think listen. The first thing is listen. That's one of the first things I say to, to the allies and when we're giving events at, at Mace. Don't judge. Don't, don't try and validate. Don't try and do anything. Just listen first off. And be considerate and be compassionate. And be agile. Amanda just said it. Imagine we have an agile working policy at Mace. And COVID showed us we didn't want to be, clearly, but it showed us that we could work from home, even when we don't want to, or we don't think it's our necessarily our, our longer term approach, we still can. So what I'd say is to businesses and line managers and, and all those people of influence, be part of the solution, don't be part of the problem. Give it some thought. And if someone is brave enough to come to speak to you and raise a personal issue, respect that. We know We all know that when you treat people fairly, they repay you generally with commitment and loyalty. And who would not want to be part of that kind of environment? It betters everybody, not just women. If it's women today, it's you tomorrow. We all have different issues that need to be addressed. And this is about being, as Amanda and I are being, 
collaborative, about having the best and the greatest impact and creating a fair proposition for all of our people. It's such good advice. I think useful advice, not just for the construction industry, but I think businesses right across the board. Um, Can you tell us then a bit about how Amy, Mace and Pepe are going to be working together with the Rebuild Project during National Inclusion Week? I think that this year runs between the 27th of September to the 3rd of October. Yes, that's that's right. It does. But, you know, obviously we're planning this at the moment and we're keen to widen our scope so that Rebuild is supporting the inclusion and diversity agenda uh, more broadly. The reason that Mandy and I came together to co-chair Rebuild because we could see um, just that the the impact that we could make by bringing some, you know, the issues like this to the fore. And it's going to be, you know, a great opportunity for us to work with Pepe to launch this wider, you know, as you were asking earlier on, how can other organisations uh, support, you know, their businesses? Uh, and then hopefully through that and just working uh, on this, we'll be able to raise awareness, and it's just sort of small steps that we need to do to make a big difference to employees' lives, and also, you know, as an organisation's resilience. It, this is the start, and this will be the launch of that. I mean, rebuilds about the three R's: the representation, recognition, and remuneration. And in part of that, as I see Pepe is part of that, as Amanda said, it's about the retention piece. But it's about that, you know, employee value proposition again. We, we've got to attract, we've got to attain. And female talent, very, very strong talent. And we want that diverse perspective. So as Amanda said, we're, we're in a strategic, where we're formulating strategically what we can do to give the greatest impact at this moment in time as part of the Rebuild campaign. And it's very exciting. Um, and we're speaking to quite a few people who, again, will will help us with the, the change of direction and the focus and will give us another perspective. Again, I think what's interesting, I think this year is the 100th year on from the first International Women's Day. And we're still talking about fairer representation of women. So I think we've got some way to go. That you, we've, There's a lot to be done. Um, it's great we're having these conversations that, you know, it's taking the lid off it all. That's wonderful. Um, but we, we we need to continue. And we and I once knew a, quite a great comms person who kept telling me, Mandy, reiterate, reiterate, reiterate. And at the point when everybody shows a sign of surrender and says enough, you know you've got the message across. So I think, I think that's the goal. <laughs> I'm definitely going to be watching what you do at National Inclusion Week with interest and following that. But just before we finish, as women, is there something you wish you'd known earlier about menopause to help break down the myths and misconceptions that exist around the subject? Well, for me, um, it would have been to have had more understanding of what was coming and also for me to recognise the signs and where I could go to get the support. And I know it sounds so obvious having gone through this um, conversation now that we've had, but whilst it may sound a bit silly, I actually thought that I was suffering from an illness when the menopause first hit. I didn't recognise it as the menopause. And um, I've got dementia in my family and um, I thought that I was entering the early stages of dementia or some other illness because, you know, I couldn't remember things. I had mental blocks. I was putting on weight. So I thought there was something really wrong with me. And then... Uh, when I went to the doctors, 
um, they weren't um, they weren't helpful. They told me that I was in uh, perimenopause. I had no idea what on earth that meant. And then they said to me, we'll come back when you're in the menopause. And I thought, well, I didn't even know I was entering it in the first place. So, you know, what were the signs? And they just gave me some leaflets. Um, so, you know, I would have liked to have been able to get more support sooner. And I think the big thing for me is don't assume that your doctors know because they don't. Oh, I 120,000% want to, to, to reaffirm that position. I mean, for me, uh, I would say it does not have to be horrendous. There are so many solutions out there that can aid, abate the symptoms, whether it's depending on your own circumstances. And a lot of people don't want to take HRT because of other illnesses in their family and um, some good friends of mine. So you've got diet supplements, different kinds of medication, homeopathic, diet itself, so many different things. But again, just what Amanda's saying, just don't accept advice if it doesn't if it doesn't resonate with you or it has no impact. If your GP isn't interested or isn't um, appropriately focused from an, a professional perspective, then don't settle, move on. And that's where Peppy comes into this. Move on until you get the right advice. It's your menopause. Take control of it. It's all about you, you in the conversation. And until the point that you feel well again, you should not settle. And I, I can't stress that enough. My experience, and if my mother hadn't been in the room and, and clearly it was very young for these kind of conversations, and when the doctor turned around, who actually was a family friend, who so you think he'd be more interested, said to me, I think you need to go to the library, Mandy. If I hadn't have had somebody in the room, I don't think anyone would have believed that. But it was only because my mother was there and was just flabbergasted by the response. But I'm not sure it's necessarily moved on, you know. And that's what's, that's what's kind of upsetting when I speak to other women. So I cannot encourage women enough to not settle and make sure you get the advice that, that really makes you feel the best you can possibly feel. Because as uh, Amanda pointed out at the beginning, the symptoms can be various. The scope is huge um, and they impact everybody in different ways. So we're not all the same. That's just so shocking. I'm really surprised by it. And thank you for your honesty in talking about that. I think that's really important. Definitely. Thank you both for, for speaking to us today so openly about the subject. And I, I really hope the work you're doing with Pepe will make a real difference to the careers of women engineers to help them remain a key part of the teams that they work in and solve part of the skills issue facing the sector. Now that concludes another episode of the Engineers Collective. Thank you for listening and I hope you can join us again soon. The Engineers Collective is powered by Bentley Systems with industry-leading software solutions used by professionals in organisations of all sizes for the design, construction and operation of roads and bridges, rail and transit, water and wastewater, public works and utilities, buildings, campuses and industrial facilities. Bentley can help accelerate your digital transformation. To find out more, visit www.bentley.com forward slash The Engineers Collective.